those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord came appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we do thank you this day, Lord, that you sent your son, uh, for it is great news uh, to us, Lord. And we just give you thanks and praise for that, Lord, for we fear not, for you are with us, Lord. And uh, we pray that uh, you open our hearts this morning and our ears and our minds, Lord, that we would be changed, Lord, by your word, by this great news that you have for us this morning. I pray your anointing on Jackie, Lord, as he brings us your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, everybody thankful this morning? (laughs) Good. We got a little chaos going on up here. You guys don't mind, do you? Weren't the kids awesome? Man, that was great. I love getting a chance to, anytime I can, to get to see little ones praising God. And uh, it's just a a glory to get to behold. And this week, we're rapidly approaching Thanksgiving Day. In a month, uh, we try to focus on, on thankfulness and being thankful. And this morning, we get an opportunity to consider the, the scripture that really lays out for us this concept, this idea of, of, uh, of really what, what are we thankful for. And prayerfully, what we're thankful for is that Jesus Christ is our deliverer. And he has come. And uh, hopefully that's where we can find that joy. See, the Bible tells us in Psalm 1611, it says this, You make known to me the path of life, for in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Sounds like something worth being thankful for. Psalm 5112 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit god's work in our life not only is joy in his presence but is there there is this work that he does by his spirit in our life to help that joy continue jeremiah fifteen sixteen says your words were found and i ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart for i am called by your name O Lord God of hosts. I thought Barry's poem was perfect with what we were talking about this morning because as we look at it, I love that last phrase. Who am I, Lord? You're mine. And I I love the the picture that was painted for us in the Gospel of John when when, uh, the Lord said, God so loved the world that he did what? His only son, right? He gave. We have the beauty of that love of God that brings joy. The words of God, His word, as we pour over it, brings joy into our life. In Luke fifteen seven, it says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven when one, with one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. You know, one of the things that I want you to recognize from that is that heaven is a place for the broken. 
God glories when broken are made whole. And the broken are made whole when they come to wholeness by a relationship with Jesus Christ. So all heaven rejoices, rejoices over the reality that Jesus Christ has done this work of salvation, the beginning of which we read this morning in Luke chapter 2. Very thankful for these things. In Romans fifteen thirteen, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound to hope. So not only does he pour out to us his love, not only does he pour out to us his joy, but he also gives us hope. Hope for the future. Hope for what is yet to come. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I watch the news, hope is not how I usually clarify what I have just endured. You know, usually I, if, if I, if, to be honest, I don't, I read more than I watch, but if that occurs, I usually need something happy. So I'll go talk to my wife. And she'll tell me something happy. Because if you know Kathy, she always has something happy to say. The question will be if she has something happy to say about my little cane joke or not. <laughs> she's, she's laughing but looking at me from the top of her eyes, which could be bad for me. I thought it was funny, but what about the guys? Funny or stupid? A couple funny and there's a lot of stupids I heard. <laughs> so I have to go to her. I go to her because she is always filled with joy. But the world doesn't offer hope. But Jesus Christ does. I'm thankful for that. That in Jesus Christ we have hope. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In that relationship with him... Through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, this is what occurs in our life. We have the source of hope, though we don't see it. In, in Hebrews 11, you remember we said faith is the substance of those things that we have not seen. It's the things that we hope for. We see the, the effects, we see the hope for the horizon, but we have not yet realized that hope. And so we believe the beauty that the Lord shows us in His Word. I'm thankful for those things. First Peter 4.13 But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. One of the things that the Word of God teaches us is none of the things that we suffer are wasted. None of the tears that you cried were not important to God. In fact, the psalmist would declare that he saves your tears, that He catches them in a bottle, that your tears are a precious thing to God. It's not a little thing. No matter what has caused pain in your life, to God, to your Father in Heaven, it matters. And it was for and is for a purpose. And what He's promising us here in this last Scripture that we'll look at, speaking of this joy and thanksgiving that we have... <coughs> is that we would rejoice when we see Him face to face. Now I just want to tie this idea to that. When you see Jesus face to face, the book of Revelation declares, as Jesus is returning, one of the things that He says is, See, I make all things new. So whatever things we wept over, whatever things broke our heart, whatever things were a struggle for us, the hope we have is that when we see Jesus face to face, there's a reckoning. There's a, there's a moment, there's a point of redemption over all of those things in Christ. The Bible says the things that we suffer now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed when we see Him. When we see Him, what does that mean? I don't know. Maybe He'll let us see the things that occurred as a result of the things that we suffered. Maybe He'll, he'll do... I have no idea. All I know is when we get to that moment, it says you are not even going to be able to describe what just happened. That's hope. That's hope. The hope with which we look to the Lord. Now this morning we read a section of Scripture that says we have good news of great joy. That's something for us to be 
thankful for. And there's a couple of things I want us to see out of this section of Scripture that we're looking at. The first one is that the promises of God are being fulfilled. That's why it's good news of great joy. God's promises are coming true. Now, if God's promises of the past came true, what does that mean for me when I look at the promises of the future? If, if you, somebody borrowed money from you and paid you back, and borrowed money and paid you back, borrowed money and paid you back, and now they have borrowed again, what can you expect in the future? They've shown themselves faithful, correct? So when we look at God, if we see God as showing himself as faithful in the past, we can expect faithfulness for the future. And that's what we see when we look at the promises of God and those things that God has fulfilled for us. The second thing that we'll look at this morning is the praises of God. The praises of God being proclaimed. Good news, great joy, things that we need or should or ought to be thankful for. So first, let's look at the promises of God that are being fulfilled. We're going to take a look at three different things. Look, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, here's some obvious things that hopefully this will help. Uh, It's called Lucan hyperbole, but when he talks about all the world, he's talking about the Roman Empire. He's talking about the Roman Empire and maybe just the, the province of Judea. So as we take a look at it, Caesar Augustus calls for all to be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governing or the governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was the house and the lineage of David. So the first thing we see, <coughs> the ruler that's on the scene, Caesar Augustus. He's the longest ruling Caesar in the Roman Empire. Forty-some years he's going to rule. Caesar Augustus had some interesting things to say about himself. Maybe you're not familiar with this. He called himself the Prince of Peace. Under his reign... They said what entered into Rome was what's called the Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome, by the Prince of Peace, who had the biggest army in the then known world, but was proclaiming a Roman peace to the Roman controlled world. Some interesting parallels there, don't you think? It just so happens that at the time when he rules and reigns, Jesus is born who is also called what? Prince of Peace. How about the Lord of the angel armies? And what message do they proclaim? Peace. Peace in heaven and peace on the earth. We see this move that God is doing at the time. So we have him, we have this all going on at just the right time. You have uh, lingua franca, common language that all the people can speak. So communications at an all-time high. You have Roman roads connecting everybody. So the ability for the gospel to move out is at the, the best it has ever been in the ancient world. And ultimately you have God's purpose. At just the right time, he sent his son Jesus to be born. We also see that there's a registration. What's going on with the registration? Well, there's a census. They're trying to get a count. They did this for two reasons in the Roman Empire. One was military service for which the Jews were excluded. They were never called into military service into the Roman legion. The second thing was for taxation. So they get a count of people so that they could tax people. Now here's the reality. Here's the truth. You only have records that go back in history that talk about Egypt. We don't know how they taxed anybody else. When we look at how they taxed Egypt... We see that they had Egyptians go to the the places where they lived, and they would register there, and they would pay their taxes off of this. So a lot of people have a lot of questions. Well, why, why does it work out like this? Well, let me tell you this. The Egyptians had something, or, or practiced something, that the Jews didn't, or vice versa. The idea is this. Jews held to the land for posterity. And while you lived in Nazareth, if you were a son of David, you held land in Bethlehem. It was owned by the family. It might be leased out to somebody else. But every time the year of Jubilee came around, 
that land went back to the title of the family. Now, it may be leased out again from that point, depending on what the family was doing with the land, but you never lost your hold in the nation of Israel. Whatever you owned, you owned. It was yours. That was different than Egypt. So in order to get an idea who owned what and what responsibility they would have for taxes, they would have them go back to the place of their birth, the place of their, of their family name. And for both, Mary and Joseph, that's Bethlehem. Now it's interesting when we think about why. Why would, why would all of these things need to happen? Why would all these things need to take place? Well, listen, Micah 5.2 says this. We're talking about the promises of God that are being fulfilled. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from everlasting. Now, who is this leader? Well, whoever it is, has got to be someone who's eternal. Right? Someone from of old, from everlasting. This is a scripture speaking of the coming of Messiah. And when the people were asked, we're going to see when we talk about the wise men, when they were asked, where's Messiah to be born? Did the people know? Sure they did. They said Bethlehem. Well, how are you going to get a pregnant woman who's not yet married to her husband, who's probably struggling a little bit with this idea that the woman to whom he's engaged is pregnant, And it's not his. She's been visited by an angel. Joseph's been visited by an angel. These events are are happening and occurring in her life, but they're a little different, right? Well, most of us haven't experienced a a story like theirs. So we look at it there. They may be struggling with this. Why would they go to Bethlehem? Well, Augustus Caesar says, I want to have a census so that I know what to tax people. Herod the Great says, well, we'll make sure all the Jews go back to the place of their birth. We're given a timetable in the, in the Gospel of Luke that it says, literally it says, when Quirinius was governing. Now most of our Bibles say when Quirinius was the governor. All you have to do is look it up. It's a verb. Last I checked, governor is not a verb. So he was governing, he was ruling, he was in some way establishing. We know Quirinius didn't come into power until 6 AD. But we also know he was enforcing and governing alongside the governor who was in Syria from as early as 10 BC. So he was in the area, functioning, ruling, governing, doing the things that he was called on until he was the guy who got the job. So when Quirinius was there, we have a a timetable. We know the times when Augustus Caesar ruled. We know the time when Herod the Great died, 4 B.C. So let me tell you guys, I, I, I don't know how many people think that Jesus was born on zero, uh, but there is no zero. <clears throat> and Jesus had to be born before Herod the Great died. So Jesus has to be born 5 B.C. Because of 4 B.C., Herod the Great dies. Now, why is that important? Because Herod the Great makes a proclamation we all remember. What was it? All the children two years of age and under should be slaughtered. Remember the story? We're going to look at it. And then we see Herod the Great die. So we know, history tells, 4 B.C. is when he died. So Jesus had to be born around 5 B.C. Do 33 years. You're coming up around 29 A.D. Has to be the the date of the, the crucifixion. So as we take a look... At these issues, a lot of things are laid out for us here in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. This child is going to be born, where? Bethlehem, the city of kings. And the people knew it. The people understood it. In fact, in John 7, in John 7, verse 40, it says, When they heard these things, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. And another said, No, this is the Christ. Talking about Jesus. But some said, Is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ is the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So did the people know? Yeah, the people knew. The people knew Messiah comes from Bethlehem. And here they are going to Bethlehem. God has a plan. 
God has a purpose in and through it all, even in and through their lives. What are we talking about? The promises. God promised the child would be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, <clears throat> from the family of Jesse. Now, Jesse had a really famous son. Anybody remember his name? David. That's right. So when we say the stump of Jesse or we say the stump of David, we're talking about the same family tree. Okay? So there's going to be a branch, a shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. A branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And then in Isaiah 11.10 it says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So now you have a root. You have a branch coming out of Jesse and a root. Now the root is the origin, the one who started Jesse, the one from which Jesse's life came. Who did Jesse's life come from? Well, ultimately it comes from God. He's the root. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you want to bear fruit, what do you have to be attached to? you got to be attached to the vine. So he's saying right now, look, the root, the source of life for Jesse is also going to be the branch. The root and the branch are going to be the same. We see this again in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called, Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord our righteousness. How are we made righteous today? For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be called the righteousness of God. Right? We have that righteousness through him. What is he? Yahweh, the Lord Tiskanu, our righteousness. He is the one that makes us right. These are three, four promises we're looking at right now that are fulfilled in the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. If God's promises are true for the past, what does it tell us? His promises are true for the future. We also see it, guys, in the condition of Mary. Maybe we don't think about this, but it says in verse 5, Luke chapter 2, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now here's what that means. They're still not married. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, the, the scripture, the, the apostles, the prophets tell us, they point to that scripture and say, this is the fulfillment of what's going on with Mary. It says that a virgin will conceive. A sign will be given to you. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, all the gospel writers, Luke, Matthew, they point to this and they say, this is the fulfillment. Now, there's two things about that word. We talked a little bit about it last time we talked about that section of Scripture. <clears throat> In Greek, right here, it means that she is absolutely a virgin, having never had sex with a man. And two, she's not married. So when Jesus is born, those two things are still true. She's still a virgin. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. And she's not married. What do we see here in verse 5? They're still not married. They're going to Bethlehem. They're going together. Joseph's taking care of her. He's had a dream. An angel has visited him in a dream and told him that this child that she's to give birth to is the Savior of the world. That's kind of an important job. It would kind of stress me out. I don't know about you guys. I'd feel better about the fact that the, the woman I was supposed to be married to was pregnant. I'd feel better about that, having been visited by the angel and saying that this child is the Savior of the world, until I started to think about that. And I realized I'm going to be responsible for taking care of the Savior of the world. Father, for this, that'd be a little stressful. But I don't think we always think about those things. I think we think it's somehow magical. You know, like we think of it in a Disney cartoon, the pixie dust is flying, <clears throat> right? Everybody that they walked up to and they go to a motel to try to find a place to stay, 
and they come up to it and they say, oh, oh, is this your wife? Not yet. They wouldn't give weird glances. I mean, after all, where did they put them up? In the cave stable. So here comes Mary. This is a proof of the promises of God. The virgin will conceive and give birth. She's not married. She's betrothed. Now, they would have had to get a divorce to break off their engagement. And they're not going to do that. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 1, 24, it says, When Joseph woke from his sleep, the dream he had about the angel, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. <clears throat> he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to the son. And, she, and he called his name Jesus. You guys know that's Bible speak, right? And knew her not. I don't have to draw any pictures. We're all good. That your kids can ask you later, what's he talking about? So we see this as a further example of the promises of God being fulfilled in the condition of Mary. And then ultimately we also see it right now in the character of the child. Take a look at it, verse 6. And while they were there, the time for her to give birth... And she gave birth to her, what's that phrase? What, how many born? Firstborn. You guys know that there are lots of words that can be chosen, right? But it calls him firstborn. I, I would say in the least, that implies that there's others. Why? Because in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his monogamous. Monogamous means one and only son. But that's not the word used here. The word used here is his, her firstborn. Now there's a couple of things we want to recognize about the firstborn. The firstborn was the one, the firstborn male child was the one who was dedicated to God. So there's no other way he was going to come. He was always going to be a firstborn. Why? Because the picture, the picture is he's totally consecrated and dedicated to God. He's completely his. <laughs> in Luke 2.23, we won't get there today, it says this, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Well, we read about it, that in, in Exodus, Exodus 13.2. The Lord said, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, listen to what God says, is mine. So you have this little picture in the, in the sending of Jesus as a little baby being firstborn. You have this little picture that's going to be further built as we continue through chapter 2 of Jesus Christ as belonging to God. By birth order, because he's the firstborn. And because he's the king who is from everlasting. He's eternal. He's the king from of old. The one who was to come. The Messiah. Now when we see the word Messiah, sometimes we separate the concepts. Okay, Messiah is Christ. That's what Christ means. So when people called him Jesus Christ, just understand, they're calling him Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the fulfillment of Micah 5.2. Jesus the one who was to come from of old and deliver us from our enemies. And in, and in reality, Jesus Christ is doing that. The problem is, he began with enemies that we don't think about. He began with the enemy of sin. And he's going to culminate with the enemy of death. And we're, we, we think about all the other enemies that might be out there, but that was his purpose when he came. He's the firstborn, speaks of him as the heir, <clears throat> the inheritor, more fulfillment of promises. Scripture goes on to say, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. They didn't have nowhere to stay. Now, for how many of you guys have had a chance to go to Jerusalem or Israel? Some of you guys went on a trip with us. If you get a chance to go, when you go to Bethlehem, it ought to ruin your nativity scene. And the funny thing about it is when you finish your tour of Bethlehem, 
you're going to go into a place that, that carves olive wood, and they're going to sell you a manger made out of wood. And you're going to say to yourself, why in the world would I spend this insane money, 1500 bucks, $2,000, some of them were 30000 it was insane, but they're humongous. Think It'd be easier to just make it at home, but I guess you can't have it from Bethlehem if you do that. So, But they're all made out of wood. When you just toured, what was the manger? The manger was a cave out of solid rock. It's not a little wooden structure. It doesn't look like a barn. It's a cave. It's called a cave stable. They're all over the side of Bethlehem. Everywhere you look on the side of Bethlehem, there's all these little caves. So it was a nice, easy place for them to get out of the weather and to stable their animals. And they had, in those caves, feeding troughs. The feeding troughs with which they would feed the animals, which is where they're going to lay Jesus, right? They wrap him in swaddling cloths and lay him in a manger. And I don't know about you guys, but my manger seen at home is made out of wood with a little wooden cradle or whatever you call it that Jesus is in. uh, They don't have wood in Israel, guys. Very little. You know what they have to an abundance? Rocks. Rocks. The story goes like this. Two angels were given the job to deal with all the rocks, put the rocks around the world. So these two angels went. One of them was lazy. And he dumped all the rocks in Israel. The other guy spread them around the rest of the earth. But this guy, he just dumped them all in Israel. So they build out of rocks. So Jesus is laid in a cold, stone-carved cradle made out of stone, filled with straw, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lay in a manger. That's the scene. That's the reality of what's going on. Because there was no other place for him. Now think about all the things that God says. What does he say about the humble? What will they be? The humble will be what? exalted, lifted up. What about the proud? What will they be? They'll be brought down, brought low. So what does God challenge us? What does He call us to be? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, right? (laughs) To walk in humility. Does God not show us that? The king of all the world is born in a cave, laid in a stone manger. There a more humble way to come? Born from an outcast? A woman everybody else would have said was no good. Into a family that everyone else would have said was a mess. And who's he going to use to proclaim this good news? Shepherds. We're going to talk about them in a minute. God comes in humble ways. And we see this picture laid out for us. It says in verse 8, In the same region there were shepherds. Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So, guys, probably not December 25th, okay? Yeah, their weather's pretty close to ours. How many of us are keeping watch to the flocks out on December 25th, going through the snow? Only if we have to, right? In reality, they would have brought all their livestock into the city. They're no longer going to be out in the open. They're not going to be out there where where it's hard to take care of them, they're going to be in on their own lands where they're able to take care of them. <clears throat> Probably, sometime we'll do a roundtable discussion on the birthday of Jesus. But I'll go out on a limb and say September 23rd. What do you think? What does he know that we don't know? What does he think that we don't think? Why does he think that? That's why we'll keep it for a roundtable. I'll, I'll remind Jason, someday we'll... Huh? You gotta give teasers, baby. I can't give all the answers. <laughs> I can't give all the answers. But it's for sure probably not December twenty fifth. Probably not December twenty fifth. But what do we have here? We have them out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Filled with great fear. What did everybody do when they saw an angel? Yeah, they got afraid. Okay? There was nobody who saw an angel that did not get afraid. They all get afraid, and the next thing that the angels say is what? Don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Okay? So here they come, 
And I'm sure, now you're, you're shepherds. You guys got to picture this. You're shepherds out in the fields watching the, watching the sheep. And as you're doing it, as you're out there doing this job, nobody likes you. That's the bottom job, okay? In the, in the economy of Israel, the bottom job was being a shepherd. That was it. Nobody was lining up saying, you know, my goal in life is to be a shepherd. A shepherd was what happened when you didn't study in school, you didn't do the things you're supposed to do, and they had this bottom thing that caught you. Good, you have a job, you can be a shepherd. Nobody else wanted that job. So who's the first person that God proclaims the birth of his son to? The outcasts. The broken. The people on the fringe. That's who he proclaims it to. That's who he makes the announcement to. That's who the angels cry out to. And they're out there, and all of a sudden, there's a host of angels. Look what it says. <clears throat> the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Something to be thankful for. I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. Guys, I, I, have, I have something I have to tell you. And it will be for, what's the next phrase? It will be for who? All the people. It will be for all the people. Uh, Jesus Christ is good news for everybody. Not just good news for the left. Not just good news for the right. Not just good news for the middle. Good news for all people. For everyone. For unto you is born this day. In the city of David. What's the first phrase? A savior. Unto you is born a savior. So not only do we see as we look at these promises being fulfilled, being poured out in the character of the child, we see the promise of God's redemption. <laughs> Immediately, the first thing he's going to tell us about the character of the child, he's a savior. He's going to save you. The angel has already announced twice, once to Mary, once to Joseph, what? That he is going to save his people from their sins. He's a savior. He recognizes, the God of the universe recognizes the brokenness of men. He sends his son so that he can heal that. So that he can save them. He's a savior. And then he talks us, to us about hope. Look at the next phrase. A savior who is Christ, Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. That's the word. Who is Christ? He is Messiah. That hope you've been longing for. 400 years. I keep saying this, guys. 400 years, God has not said a word to nobody. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen an angel talk to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, right? We saw an angel speak to Mary, tell her that she was going to have a baby. We saw an angel speak to Joseph, telling him it's okay to take Mary as your wife. She's been faithful to you. The child that she carries is going to be the savior of the world. He's going to save the world from their sins. And now you have a proclamation to the shepherds. Now here's what I want you to just think about for a second. Out of all the people in Israel, all the important people, all the Pharisees, which were the conservatives. All the Sadducees, which were the liberals. The kings. The Caesars. The power of the world. Everywhere around the world. God has not said a word to none of them. He talked to a teenage girl. The man she is going to marry. Father of John the Baptist. And a bunch of shepherds in a field. So God's reach, God reaches out to the common man. Because the common man doesn't have air about him. You guys know what I mean? Like, you guys ever met somebody who has airs about him? Like, you try to tell him something, you say, maybe you say, <clears throat> you meet somebody in, and in a coffee place, and he, he obviously must be a, somebody working in business, and, and you're there having coffee, and so you guys strike up a conversation. And, and he says, well, where are you from? And you say, oh, I'm, I'm born and raised in Castleford. And he looks at you like, okay, 
I got you figured out. You really? Or, look, the only thing worse than that is to say you're from Buell. (laughs) Say you're from Buell. They do the same thing. You guys all know. You guys know why. Because, Because sometimes mankind gets this idea of his own self-worth. And, and because of the things he's accomplished in his life, he elevates himself to a point where he, it's hard for him to receive. It's hard for him to hear from you. It's hard for him to receive what, what it is you're trying to say. So when God came, who did he come to? He came to the people who already knew who they were. Mary knew who she was. I'm a 16-year-old girl. Nobody really cares about me. Maybe my mom and dad. Or to the man that she was going to marry, who was from a little town in Nazareth. He's thinking, nobody cares about me. The rest of the world's going to keep spinning. Nobody's thinking, what's going on with Joseph? <clears throat> Zechariah is the closest thing to somebody up on the top. And he wouldn't believe what God was saying, so God struck him mute. Until his child was born. And then you have all the angels talking to the shepherds. 400 years, God didn't say a word through a prophet. First times he talks are exactly what you would expect. Because God's word says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will do what? Raise you up. So the first people who get to praise the name of Jesus are the people everybody else has thrown away. There's got to be something about that, no? There's got to be something about that that God is pointing to, that He wants us to recognize, that He wants us to see. He's a Savior. He's Christ. He's our hope, the Messiah, the promised one who has come. <laughs> and finally, He says, He is who is Christ and the Lord. Christos Kyrios. Christ the Lord. By the way, Kyrios is always used of the word Yahweh. That's a term used for Yahweh. He is the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Sounds familiar, right? Well, the child is born, Jesus is born in his humanity, but what did God give? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it, uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time till forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of angel armies. That's what host means. <clears throat> the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's interesting, again, when we consider the time. Jesus born at the time of Caesar Augustus, the, the August one. The Asiatic and Greek cities decided to rearrange their calendar and begin their calendar on Caesar Augustus' birthday. Because he was the bringer of peace. And they wrote outside on the city walls, Augustus has been sent to us as a savior to make an end to all war. The day of his birth will mark the beginning of the message of the gospel for the world. Sound familiar? The august one proclaiming himself to be prince of peace. He, however, he's in a palace. Jesus, at the same time, he's in a manger. He's in a manger. The next thing we see is the praise of God proclaimed. Take a look at verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, there's that phrase again, heavenly hosts. Heavenly host. Guys, the word host always referred to an army. A heavenly host. The armies of angels are filling the heavens. We look up in the heavens on a night when we see all the stars and we think, man, look at all those stars. 
And the Bible describes that the angelic host is greater than that. Bigger. In fact, it used two of the highest numbers ever to be able to be used in the Greek mind. Greek mind can only use 10,000. And in Revelation chapter 5, it says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So I don't, I don't think the point is to do the math. I think the point is, yeah, there's a lot of angels. And they're all there. <clears throat> they're all there in the heavens. What are they doing? Praising God. So you have, I just want you to see, shepherds, whole heavens is filled. Now, when we watch movies or cartoons or BFU or Sparkles or whatever, I just want you to understand, we're talking about an enormous host of angels, every one of which would cause someone to be afraid. But the heavens are filled with it. They didn't go to Herod the Great. They didn't go to the three wise, or the, 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 the magi, the three wise men who are traveling to see who this child is that was to be born. They went to, the, to these shepherds in Bethlehem. Now here's something I don't want you to miss out about Bethlehem. The animals that were kept at Bethlehem were kept for a specific purpose. Do you know what it was? Sacrifice. All those sheep in the fields. All those sheep were for sacrifice. All those lambs were sacrificial lambs being born. Where's Jesus born? In the midst of them. In fact, the, the rabbi said, if you find an animal between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, they're only six miles apart, <clears throat> if you find an animal between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, you must assume it's a sacrificial animal. That's the way that they viewed it. So here you have, in those same caves, with all... The only place where sacrificial lambs would be stored, there's, that's where Jesus is born. That's where the angels come out to proclaim. That's where they come out to sing their song, the angel armies. The Lord of the angel armies is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he is Yahweh Sabaoth. You guys ever seen that in your Bibles? The Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth, He is the Lord of the angel armies. That's what he's talking about. The angelic host. The angelic host. So what's the message that they have? They say, glory to God in the highest. <clears throat> so the first thing they call is all the heavens to glorify God. So all the heavens are empty, guys. They're empty and they're in the skies over Bethlehem. And they're, they're declaring that all of the heavens are giving glory to God for what He has done. <clears throat> and then, on the earth, in the heavens, glory to God, on the earth, peace. Peace is the message that is being declared. On earth, peace among those with whom the Lord is pleased. Now, what is that? What, what, why... I liked it better when it was uh, to the old way. Was, it, was the old way glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men? How, that, we like that? We like that? It sounds better, but that's not what's there. <laughs> what's there is God sent His Son to a special people that He had called out from among the nations. And prepared for a purpose to bring Messiah to the world. Not to restrict. It's not the idea of restricting peace to anyone. But it's the idea that Jesus Christ was born where? In Israel. What was his nationality? He's a Jew. Part of the elect of God. Those with whom God had favor. He sent through them the Prince of Peace. Now they're not a nation now. They're not going to be a nation again until 1948. And they don't worship God now, so I don't know if that counts yet or not. But He came through His own people, the people through whom He promised to come. And it's enunciated in their praise as they're praying to Him, or as they're praising God for what He's done. God promises to bring peace on all those upon whom His favor rests. Well, 
Well, let's ask the question, upon whom does God's favor rest? Well, I don't don't know. I just like to go to simple things. You guys okay with simple? What does it say again in John 3.16? For God did what? God so... Who? That He gave. God so loved the world. Cosmos. The universe. That He did what? He gave. He provided for us. What John is going to declare in a couple of chapters. When he points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, born in Bethlehem, where all the lambs are born before. Behold the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ doing this perfect work. So when we look at this section, guys, and we study this part of scripture i just want us to recognize as we come into thanksgiving you know i know we like to to preach certain things at christmas and certain things at at thanksgiving but we should be over that by now calvary chapel Buell. i ain't never done that yet (laughs) but what i want you to recognize is, is that's not something to be thankful for it's not something to be thankful that god proclaimed the message to the lowest caste in the jewish system That he proclaimed it to the shepherds. He could have went anywhere. But he went to them. And he's going to tell them, hey, go find the baby. And what are they going to do? They're going to come that night in which Jesus was born. They're going to bow the knee to the Christ child, to the Savior of all the world. Do you think they'll forget that? (laughs) I don't think they're going to forget that. I don't think they're going to forget that night. Later on, when Jesus is raised from the dead, do you remember who he enunciates or gives the initial message to the women there's two classes of people that were not allowed to be a witness in court shepherds you want to guess the other one and women so which two people at his birth he used shepherds at his resurrection he used women why because god's not hung up on that stuff god's not hung up on the stuff we're hung up on And he'll go to them. He'll go to the humble. He'll go to the low. He'll go and he'll proclaim the promises. And we can hold to those promises and say thank you because you were faithful, your promises in the past. You will be faithful to your promises in the future. Does God have a plan for you? Does God have a purpose? Is God working those things out for us? Man, we need to hold on to hope nowadays more than ever. And I hope for you, just getting a chance to consider the birth of our Savior at the time of Thanksgiving reminds us of what we should be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.